You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 144 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's a Sunday night, and uh, both myself and my guest, the great Scott Coleman, are uh, not enjoying sports today. Um, not really not really baseball, but uh, at, at, at the top here, Scott, let's just talk about, for like 45 seconds, on our terrible NFL teams, because I know a lot of our listeners like the Falcons, and it's been a disaster for them, and uh, your team laid a rather historic egg today, I thought, so that was uh, kind of brutal for, yeah. for both of us. Yeah, I'm a Colts fan, uh, not getting shut out. Uh, it was kind of a crazy number. Uh, Andrew Luck, since his college days, had never been shut out in a game, which is like 140 games or something like that at this point, which is pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, not not great when you don't score against the Jaguars. Yeah, no, it was uh, not a good performance. And by the way, I know we have a lot of fans of the Carolina Panthers listening to the podcast. They were all full today as well. So it was like an equal opportunity. I think those are probably, not the Colts, but I think the Falcons and the Panthers are the two biggest fan bases listening to the podcast, at least in my anecdotal experience. And uh, it was pretty rough um, for everybody involved today. So I want to at least start there and just talk about how the fact that the Braves are pretty fun at the moment, but the uh, NFL is not. For, no, at least not for me and you, Scott. So, anyway, uh, that kind of that kind of tells you. I want to start. I want to start with that just on purpose, but it kind of yeah. tells you that there isn't too much to talk about. You know, we came back. Uh, if you missed it somehow, uh, we did an emergency podcast on Monday evening to talk about Josh Donaldson and Brian McCann. So we have a lot of stuff on those two things there. So, I mean, other than that, there isn't ha- there hasn't been a ton of like headline worthy news. I guess the biggest thing that happened this week is not really baseball related. And it was, uh, it was about the broadcast because Joe Simpson is now moving off of being the lead TV analyst and is now going to do more radio. And it's Jeff Rancor, um, former Braves player. And, uh, you know, I guess I should say this every time we talk about Jeff, he's two years older than me, but we went to the same high school and I, we're not friends, but I've known him for probably 24 years. So just a little context there. Uh, Jeff was not the greatest baseball player in the world after he was supposed to be, but um, I do know him a little bit. So just let me say that out loud right now. Anyway, uh, Frank Corr's lead guy TV doing like a hundred ish games, I guess, according to the AJC. And we're, we're going to get more Tom Glavin, which is interesting because Glavin's always been sort of a fan favorite um, in terms of uh, his work in the booth. But the headliner is Simpson not being the lead guy anymore. So what was your reaction to this? I know you're far, you're farther away than I am in terms of just proximity, but um, everybody kind of everybody kind of had a reaction to this. So what was yours? I was glad to see it happen. Um, you never root for somebody to lose their job or, or get demoted in Joe Simpson's case, but. Um, I think it was pretty clearly a time to make a change. I mean, you think back just on the last year, anytime a TV announcer has to make not one, but basically two apologies uh, for comments made on air. Of course, there was uh, his little uh, rant about the Dodgers players not wearing 
what he deemed to be professional attire for batting practice, uh, when they were shirts that raised money for cancer awareness. Um, when, you know, whenever you go on a five minute rant about that. And then of course he went down, I think that night actually, and apologized to the Dodgers. Um, and then he had the, uh, what I thought was really unprofessional comments questioning Juan Soto's age because he was a Latin born player. Um, I, I think that was by far the worst of it. And if memory serves, I want to say that, uh, the nationals GM and him kind of got into it a little bit. And, uh, and the Nets folks were really uh, with good reason, really, um, offended and, and not happy with it. So anytime you, you're at that point, I, I know the Braves came out and said that didn't directly, uh, have an impact on the decision. I don't know if I necessarily believe it, but, um, you know, like you said, I, I don't know Frank Gore personally, but, uh, he seems to have a, a general enthusiasm for the game, uh, was an entertaining player to watch, uh, when he was in Atlanta. And, and I think hopefully they're able to, uh, as he, as he continues to get some polish in the booth, um, really kind of embraces being a, a Braves fan favorite, if you will, whenever he came up and tell some great stories. I'm sure he has enough stories that could fill up uh, an entire season's worth of games, and that'll be a lot of fun to hear. So I was I was certainly in favor of it. I'm, I'm glad to see it, uh, glad to see the change happen and, and um, look forward to games, obviously, in April. For sure, and I do think, uh, and I, I think I should say out loud, that I don't think Jeff at the moment is a particularly good analyst. Um, so I think there's some projection here from Fox in what they're doing. I think they're seeing someone who's young, you know, Joe's been along for, Joe's been around for a long, long time. Um, I think people forget how long Joe's been around. Honestly, it's been a long time. Um, but in Frank core, he's less polished, as you mentioned, but does have more enthusiasm. I think part of the annoyance that people had, including me recently is that Simpson doesn't seem to enjoy the modern game very much in some ways. And that was sent by the way, it's not, that's not always Simpson. I think that was a, a big criticism that took place in the playoffs, even with John Smoltz, who people really liked when he first started. And now people uh, were really kind of critical of he and Joe Buck talking about um, sort of not liking the modern game and all that stuff, all that stuff in the playoffs. So, just having that youthful voice, having that ener- energetic voice does help over the course of 162. I think it can be kind of a grind, and hearing someone that's excited does help. I do hope that Frank Orr improves um, as a just, you know, not X's and O's is the wrong word. I, it's just kind of, um, I don't know, analysis, like actual analysis, not just yeah. the um, very easy stuff that anybody could tell you. Um, I, I hope he improves in that way. You know, it's not all um, advanced analytics, but there is some of that. I wish he'd get some of that at least going. Um, you know, in, my, in his limited time this year, I wasn't terribly impressed with that. But you know, a, lo- a, lo- a long way to go for him. Obviously, this is sort of. A, I'm sure this could be a long term thing, considering his age and all that fun stuff. He's still you know in his in his mid 30s, so this is a pretty young hire for that job. Um, also, on the radio side, I know a lot of people like to listen to the radio broadcast. It's now going to be a four man rotation of Jim Powell, Ben Ingram, Don Sutton, and Joe Simpson. And I know Don's been doing less and less because he's uh, pretty old at this point. I still like Don Sutton, but he's uh, not getting any, any younger. So they're going with that four-man group. You know, I like Jim Powell. I, I like Ben Ingram. Those guys do a good job. Um, Joe on the radio side, you know, I think people forget that Joe used to do a lot of radio back in the day when they kind of had that weird mixed booth um, with Skip and Pete. So he's not a stranger to radio. So we'll see how that works, but um, and we'll see how that all breaks down. But I think this is an upgrade, frankly. You know, even if... Even if it's just Simpson for Frank Gore, it's probably an upgrade for what I want in them in the booth. And then you add in what they're saying is more Glavin. And I think Glavin's better than both of them, frankly. So that's just my opinion. And this is all opinion-driven, by the way. I know a lot of fans... I actually was a little bit surprised to see how much fan reaction to the negative to this, uh, I guess, uh, that happened here. Because people... There's a large swath, I think, of people that really like Joe and they're really kind of upset about this. And I'm not upset about it, but I guess, you know... 
having that long lasting relationship does matter. And I think just because we didn't particularly enjoy Joe recently doesn't mean that there are people that did. So that's something we should say as well. I think somebody made this point too, and I, th- I think it's a, a valid one and an interesting one. And as the Braves under Alex Anthopoulos, who, who clearly is running the ship now as the Braves and really all of baseball kind of shift towards a, a newer game, a, one that's driven by analytics, one that's driven by numbers. I, I don't know if you necessarily want the guy who's, who's talking uh, half the time in, in all of your home and road broadcasts really just kind of doodooing on what <laughs> so many front offices are going towards. You know, yes, it, it, I agree. Um, it, you know it'd be like a, a state-run television channel that has uh, announcers criticizing everything that the state is doing, right? It, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense from that perspective. Again, I, Frank Hor is, I think, a little old school, um, though I think he would at least be open to some of the uh, the newer ways I know, and you just listened to Brian McCann's press conference on Monday, and he was talking about how analytics have really turned his career around, and how he wants as much information as he can get. And obviously, him and Jeff are as close of friends as, as you can be for you know fifteen twenty years now. Um, it will be interesting to see if if Jeff is open minded to stuff like that. Um, not that you you have to be open minded to to the new way of baseball. If you want to still look at the old school stats, be my guest. That's, that's your prerogative. Um, but I, I am, like you said, I think there's some, some room for him to really grow and, uh, and not that he needs to, you know, bring a calculator out with him whenever he's, uh, whenever he's calling games. But I do think there's a chance for Frank Corr to really kind of embrace what so many players are starting to embrace. Yeah, there's a mix there and I, I hope he gets to it. I, I'm, I think there are people that want the like full analytic broadcast. I'm not one of those people. I am definitely a numbers guy. I do sort of use the, I think if people that listen to the podcast know that at this point that you and I and Eric, and we like to look at the numbers, but it doesn't all, it doesn't all have to be that. In fact, it wouldn't be a great broadcast if it's all that um, for me. So, you know, yeah. Frank Orkin could sort of do the mix of both, which I think would be preferable to what it is now. I will say, I have to say one thing that I just, I have a hard time believing and the Braves, uh, sorry, Fox did say as part of the uh, story with the AJC, they were quoted as saying, that these that the comments of for about Soto and the Dodgers um, were not related to this, I don't believe that. I, I'll just say that out loud. Um, I, I, I'm not kind of, I'm not telling you that was the entire reason because I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. But to say that meant nothing. Um, it's kind of the, the, the timing is very curious considering Joe's been around for a long, long time. Nothing else really changed, and then this is the winter. Um, just months after that happened, that, 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 that they like to make this change. I'm a little bit um, skeptical that it didn't matter at all. Again, I'm not saying that it was the whole, the only reason because I'm sure it wasn't. But uh, the fact that they said that it didn't matter at all, I don't really believe that. That's just me. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I, I do, and I think too. It, you know, Fox Sports. They're not. They're not dumb, right? And they realize that. After a couple of years of the Braves being bad, the TV numbers were way up this past season, and that's it's almost it's, like it's, people want to watch good baseball, Scott. When, people, when, right. when, when the team it's, wins, people want to watch more. It's weird, I know. Exactly, and I, I think they realize that if they're going to have more eyes on their broadcast, they they need to have the best product possible, and I do think they deserve a level of kudos for getting rid of of or at least getting rid of Joe on air for, for a TV perspective. Um, that's and by the all, way, he's not, he's not gone all the way. He's still doing like 20, 30, 40 games, something like that. I, they haven't set a, full, a firm number, but he's not, he's not gone, which is something we should mm. point out as well. Yeah. He's doing a limited, a limited schedule. That's, what, that, that was, that's the way that was announced. And by the way, it seemed like Joe was surprised in the, uh, in the, in the, in the AJC story. He I, apparently thought it was going to be scaled back and scaled back apparently meant like almost banished. So he, he didn't seem particularly pleased, which is yeah. something as well. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to, just some, just for some clarity there. We we can leave this. I just wanna wanted to leave. With, I mean, it's the biggest story by far. I think you know I was talking about before before we started recording. 
there's baseball stuff to talk about, but in terms of reaction, since Monday, since the deals happened with Donaldson and McCann, this is absolutely the biggest story around the Braves, so we had to at least talk about it. I kind of don't always want to talk about the broadcast. You know, for instance, we've not talked about the play-by-play guy, who we are not huge fans of, I know. Um, but, you know, these people are humans, and it's it's tough. It's tough to it's tough to talk about stuff all all the time, which is why I, I don't I don't usually pick spots to talk about the broadcast. We get a lot of questions about the broadcast sometimes, and I kind of just ignore them because it's not the best thing to talk about for us. But this is big enough news where we just kind of had to do it. So oh, there yeah, you go, absolutely. It's coming, <laughs> it's coming <laughs> and uh, we'll see how Frank Core does. I I am looking forward to the Frank Core McCann stories, if nothing else, because those are going to be coming. And uh, we are, we're already kind of hearing that, but those guys are both from Gwinnett County, where I grew up. So another another little check mark for uh, my personal interest, I will say. But here we are. Yeah, so I, I think if anything, it's a fresh voice and a, and a fresh outlook on the games. And and I get why. Again, Joe Simpson has his certain viewpoint of the way baseball should be played, and I get it. I mean, he's been around the game for probably thirty or forty years now. Um, I, I do think, though, you know, fresh voice and, and some energy, and I think you can. It's it's a grind. I mean, it's a hundred and say 150 games or so that you do every year for however many years that he's been in the booth. And it's, it's a real grind. And I think to the average person at home, someone thinks, Oh, going to the, the stadium and traveling with the team for six or seven months out of the year would be a dream job. And, and it is, it's a really cool job if you can get it. Uh, but I do think yes. after a certain while, you probably start to dread those, those 4am flights, the red eye flights across the country after a long road trip. And, and it is easy to see why you might get a little, uh, a little cynical, a little jaded, if you will. For sure. It's uh, it's definitely a grind, and uh, we'll leave that there for now. Move on to baseball, and uh, there was a couple of stuff, a couple of things to talk about this week. Uh, the biggest one in terms of actual transaction was the non-tender deadline passed, and the Braves elected to tender everyone, which was a mild surprise, I will say. You know, individually, nothing was terribly shocking, but the fact that they just kind of went down the list and said, all right, everybody gets a contract offer um, or a tender is interesting to me. The one guy who avoided that, the actual tender, was um, Johnny Venters. The Braves signed him to a $2.25 million deal to avoid arbitration. And we, we made the joke on the podcast before that it's kind of crazy crazy that Johnny's still arbitration like that's insane to me given his age but when you miss when you miss all that time um I guess that's, that's just kind of what happens but good for venters and not having to go through arbitration because it's just kind of crazy that he has to even face that given the way that the baseball stuff lays out but I mean the guys who got tender that were surprises we can start with for me the bigger I'm not sure they were surprises but still the guys who were really in doubt were Adam Duvall and Sam Freeman uh, what would you make of Adam Duvall? I went on record before this happened and said that I actually would tender him, and that was a little bit unpopular. I know a lot of people really soured on him, and with good reason. He was really bad when he got to Atlanta. But if you look big picture, he was his production from pre when he got to Atlanta was definitely worthy of like the $3 million projected salary that he's going to be having. But it's an interesting calculus because he's not going to be starting, I can't imagine. So it's like you're paying for a fourth outfielder, $3 million, which is just fine, but it's it's like what is, what is Adam Duvall? So this is kind of a... a, a um, I guess a vote of confidence from the front office to say we think he's still the guy that he used to be when we traded for him. But what did you make of that? I thought it was interesting. If it, I think before everything happened, I thought that he was devolved as the one guy who wouldn't get tendered. Um, but again, at the same time, uh, just because you tender a guy a contract doesn't mean that you're on the hook for it. You can let True. him go. I think if they they're, let him, they're go. they're non guaranteed at this point, which is yeah. important to me. I think people are talking about that like it wasn't true, but it's um, that's a very important detail. Like. They're not definitely paying him three plus million dollars right now. That's not a guarantee right. at all. I think if they release him tomorrow, it's a sixth of what he was projected to make. So, you know, was was that five hundred thousand dollars? So if they would decide if they make a trade tomorrow and they need to have Duvall's roster spot and they cut him, 
then you know they're on the hook for 500k which is obviously not a lot of money so i'm with you i mean i think the overall point my biggest takeaway was the braves must feel like they're in a pretty good situation financially if uh they were going to tender all this this money to all these guys if you assume they hang on to uh to Vizcaino and, and to Duvall and Sam Freeman and the rest of the relievers um you know if you decide to non-tender Viz and Duvall you're you're saving probably close to eight million dollars next year maybe nine uh that's a significant amount of money especially when you have um at least two holes on your roster when you talk about a, a late-end reliever and a and an outfielder and potentially they talk about wanting a front-end starter those generally don't come cheap so a little bit of a surprise uh, but if if they do want to keep Duvall around you mentioned he was he was pretty solid uh, especially in a fourth outfielder capacity before the trade. Obviously, was really, really bad in August and September. Wasn't even on the playoff roster. But for players to hit $3 million in value over a season is not hard to do. I mean, you just have to be fairly serviceable in a backup role, and you'll you'll have no problem getting uh, to a value of that much. So um, if they do decide to keep them around, I think it's a matter, again, just going back to the Braves wanting to have more depth. Uh, if you if you take a chance on Duvall at, at $3 million or so, um, he would have to be really, really bad for you to just outright release him. And, and if you do have to release him, you're not on the hook for a crazy amount of money. I'm going to guess they figured that was cheaper than what they could go and get another fourth outfielder for. Um, so again, not, not a huge shock. I was surprised, but I think you could really defend it either way. Yeah. And I think it comes down, if we just assume Duvall is going to make $3 million, which I think is, we just said is not definitely going to happen, but if we assume it does, he basically just has to be the guy that he was in Cincinnati. He could actually even be a little bit worse than that, and it's fine. Um, like, even this year, he was not, you know, not playing as well as he was previously. You know, 2016, 2017, he was really good for the, for the Reds. He had, like, an OPS around 790, 800, something like that, with quality defense. That's a guy who is worth a lot more than $3 million, um, even, as, even as, a, as, as a part-time player. Last year in Cincinnati, he definitely slowed down a little bit. He had a 685 OPS, which is pretty bad, um, but... Does have does have power and for me importantly is a pretty good corner outfield defense guy, um, and because of the fact that the Braves have a center fielder in Ronald Acuna who's not playing center field every day at least right now, that kind of gives you more flexibility to have your fourth outfielder maybe be Duvall, um, because Duvall is good in the corner and if and if something happened to Ender you just move Ronald Acuna to center field so th- that's some interesting. Um, just context there of what you're looking for with Duvall. It would not surprise me at all if he got moved uh, away, whether it be cut or traded. I think you could probably easily trade him, to be honest with you, to a team that might be looking for someone of, of his pure skill set, like a right-handed power bat that can play good defense in a corner. That's, you know, it's a fairly valuable piece at times. And because his contract is reasonable and, and sort of locked in, it's going to be somewhere in the low $3 million range. That could be appetizing for a team. So maybe they try to trade him. Maybe they just keep him, bring him back. But I uh, was on board with going going ahead and tendering him. So no issue for me with Duvall. And uh, if he's awful for if he if they keep him and he's awful for like six weeks, they'll just cut him. Like it's not a situation where they have this like long term commitment for Duvall. Um, the other guy who got some blowback on Twitter was Sam Freeman. I was not surprised because Freeman's even cheaper. He's like half the price of Duvall. I don't yeah. think he's very good, but. He's someone who's like a he's a major league pitcher and he's left-handed and that's not it's like no money at all. It's kind of where I was with it. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't surprised to see him get a tender. I mean, he's shown look he he's not great. He's never going to be great, but at the same time, relievers on in free agency and elsewhere get paid far more than what they're worth. So for a million and a half bucks, two million bucks, whatever he's going to get in arbitration if it gets there, if they work out a deal before then. Uh, 
not ideal to use. But you look at his numbers last year. He had a three six six FIP. Uh, the year before, of course, he had a three three four FIP. So if you figure you're going to get that from a lefty reliever, if if you're counting on Sam Freeman to be your your eighth inning guy, you're in a lot of trouble. If he's <laughs> going to be the seventh or eighth guy out of your bullpen, you can you can do worse, frankly. So again, even if even if Freeman breaks camp with the team and is just abysmal in in April, you either phantom DL him or you could probably just release him outright, uh, and and then you're out a million dollars. So. Yeah, they'll, they'll see what he looks yeah. like in spring. And honestly, for as much as um, we've gotten on him, and I think when he's really bad, it's really bad. And like there's been some high profile blow ups from Freeman. I think he's been a little bit better than the consensus thinks he's been. If that makes sense. I so agree. I don't think he's good at all. Which we both just we, we, we both just said that he'd be someone who you want to be your last reliever in your bullpen. But you know, the last since he got to Atlanta, he has numbers that are better than you would think they are. And Steamer projects him for a three nine one uh, FIP, three six one ERA. That's not good, but it's not going to kill you. The walks are what is frustrating for Freeman. Like if he could throw strikes, he actually would be good. He just can't throw strikes, and that's the biggest problem for me. Like he's he has a career walk rate of five for nine. That's that's bad for someone in it, with, with his with his kind of stuff. But if you can see past that, it's okay. And again, just like Duvall, probably even more so than Duvall. Giving him a tender does not mean he's going to be on the team opening day. It doesn't mean that at all. So we'll see how that looks. The other the other guy who apparently was in doubt, and I, I don't really know why, it had to be injury-related, was Aroides Fiscaino. Granted, he's, 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 on, he's on track to make more money than the other guys we're talking about here, but I know Mark Bowman, good friend of the program, um, guy that we trust, um, was talking about how that was like a real decision the Braves were making. I have to think that, that had to be injury-related because performance-wise, Fiscaino's make worth a lot more than what he's projected to earn in arbitration. Yeah, I was surprised, and, and I think that one was purely a health-related thing, and obviously you and I and nobody else other than the Braves doctors have access to Viz, Viz's medical records. He had two shoulder injuries last year. Um, again, $5 million, not an insignificant amount of money, but going back to what you we were just talking about with how much relievers uh, get paid in free agency, it's probably a worthwhile gamble. I mean, with with what he's been able to do, if if he can throw you forty or fifty innings next year, he's probably worth that five million bucks. Um, that that's a little easier said than done. Again, especially when you do have a, a shoulder injury like he does. Uh, but at the same time, for five million bucks, it's not going to break the bank one way or the other. And again, it it kind of goes back to the point of I think the Braves feel pretty decently that. Uh, they're going to be able to address all of their needs and still have money for for the trade deadline in July. Uh, if if they were really worried about, well, we'd like to get these things done, but I'm not sure the money's going to work out, then you don't tender Viz or you don't tender Duvall. Um, right now, I think payroll is around 105 million, uh, which which leaves them more than enough room to make some some moves. And if they feel like Viz is a worthwhile five million or so. Uh, dollar gamble, then then so be it. I don't I don't think you'll get too too much fight one way or the other. If he's healthy, I mean he's worth more than that. I, I mean I know this guy you know is not being the most consistent guy in the world, and you can't really count on him for like eighty innings in the bullpen. But if you think he's going to be healthy at the outside of the season, he's going to get more than that on the free agent market. So I'm okay with that. Like you know what I mean? Like I, there's a chance that bites him, but the the risk factor is not super high given what he's making. And this guy, you know, honestly, probably has the highest upside of anyone in the bullpen. I mean, maybe Minter, I think, probably has probably higher upside. But other than that, when he's good, he's really good. And that's someone the Braves need. I, I do think that at some point they're going to keep looking and try to add a high-end a high closer type. But if they don't, the guys in the eighth and ninth inning are going to be this guy, you know, and Mentor. So yeah. um, 
you need somebody else like that. I don't think they have another guy like Vizcaino around right now, so just keep him around, and the risk is not that high. So I was kind of flummoxed by that. I do think that Bowman must have heard something on that, which I don't I don't blame him at all. I think it's because of the durability and the injury stuff, and that makes sense. But I, almost, I also would have been a little bit frustrated if they parted ways with him because there's just a lot of risk in that, honestly. There's more risk in letting him go than there is in tendering him. That's That's where I am with that. Yeah, I agree. For five million bucks, if if we're talking in a year about how the Braves royally screwed up by tendering Viz at five million dollars, then then we probably had a really good season because of how minimal that is. So, I was gonna say, I mean, I can't imagine yeah. us even if he gets hurt or blows up. I don't think you and I are going to come on this podcast in June and be like, man, why do they tender Royce Vizcaino? You know what I mean? That, that's yeah. not going to happen. Like, we'll, we'll just say, oh, he's hurt or oh, he's been bad. There's nothing in his track record to say that he's not worth five million dollars or whatever he's going to make. There's just, yeah, it's it's a silly, that's a silly silly thing. Like he, you'd have to be pretty confident if, that he was not going to be available, and I can't see that really being the case. With what we know, obviously they know more than we do. Um, the the last thing on the on the tender stuff was that I, I know we mentioned that all the guys that were um, available to, to be tender were all tender. The three guys who were no brainers were Mike Fulton, David, Kevin Gosman, and Charlie Culberson. Those were and, and no doubt whatsoever. We did get one question about Culberson that I wanted to answer because I, I don't, we spent a lot of time Monday talking about Johan Camargo, and with good reason. Uh, he's a better player than Culberson and is younger, et cetera, et cetera. But we got a question from Cody, and he says, I like the conversation about Camargo and his utility on last week's show, but what about Charlie Culberson? He was good this year, but it seems like he might be in a smaller role now. Um, I think, yes, he'll be in a smaller role now. Um, Culberson, just to sort of set the backdrop here, Culberson will be 30 years old in April 2018 was by far the best year of his career, like not even close. He had a 108 WRC plus last season, which was, you know, leaps and bounds better than anyone could have projected reasonably. He's never hit that. Even in the minors, he wasn't hitting that. Um, And now his career mark is 73 WRC plus over 765 plate appearances. So Culberson's bat did feel like it was at a high point in 2017. uh, Sorry, in 2018. That's kind of where I'll leave that. Um, But with Camargo sort of being in that super utility role, at least right now, Culberson's knocked down a peg at a minimum. Like I think he's a guy who you won't see start very often. You'll still he'll still he'll still have some value as a pinch hitter and someone who can, who can still play everywhere. But with a now a guy in front of you playing the same positions for the most part, he does take a step back. So, a what do you expect from Culberson in 2018, uh, 2019 as he sort of balances back from his career year? And B, he's going to be around. So what's his role going to be? Yeah, I think it's an ideal situation for Culberson. Honestly, uh, you you never necessarily want to bank on a prior year's performance from players, especially in his case, as you said, where it was leaps and bounds better than any season he's had before. Uh, you know, th- that's not to say that guys at age 29, 30 can't figure out something and, and be better players than they were at age 27, 28. Um, and I think ideally when last year when Culberson was basically your entire bench, uh, they really counted on him. And, and when he wasn't swinging as well as he was earlier in the year, uh, they felt that. And of course, we saw that the dangers of having such a thin bench. Uh, he had to replace Dansby in the in the division series. And obviously that that hurt the Braves and took away a pinch hitting option. And uh, it was just a it was a bad situation all the way around. So we've, we've talked about Camargo being the super utility guy. Culberson's also in that utility role. More and more teams around baseball have that those utility kind of guys who can play five or six positions on the diamond at any time, and you hope that that he's able to repeat or at least come close to doing what he did last year. And if if he doesn't, you're not on anything great. Um, but again, it, it never is a bad situation when you have players who are capable of you know if if they have to play for uh, you know 
a month or whatever it may be because of an injury, you're not you're not closing your eyes and hoping the ball doesn't get hit to them or that you're hiding <laughs> them in the in the eighth or the ninth spot in the order. So um, I think it's I think it only can help uh, Culberson not being the main guy off the bench and if he's able to come close to what he did last year, the Braves will be in in really good shape. And I'm going to think ultimately he's he's not quite as good as what he was last season, um, but I don't. I don't necessarily think he's going to fall off a cliff all of a sudden. Um, so I'll put it probably between somewhere between what he was last year and uh, and obviously going back to what he was the last couple of years. I, I would certainly bet that he is never as good as he was over a full season as he was in 2018, but he could still be a helpful player even if he's not. That's kind of For why sure. I am with that. It's just Col- Culberson is someone who you preferably want to be your last bench player in my opinion, like someone who there is utility. He can play really almost everywhere. The bats. Okay. Ish. Maybe like, I think we saw a lot. If it's, if he's the same guy he was last year, then it's definitely okay. Um, but just, there's, there's a lot of utility in having somebody like that. I don't want to go too far into the, you can never have too many good players thing. Cause that, that's your corner, Scott. I know you've been on ranting about that <laughs> for weeks, but it's yeah. true. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having someone better than Culberson in his previous role, which is now the role Camargo's in, but even a bigger role for Camargo, I'll say than Culberson. But Having Culberson in Ryan Flaherty's role, which is where he will, uh, kind of where he was last year, and that like second backup infielder, Culberson could play a little bit of corner outfield as well if you if you had to. That that's a massive upgrade. You know what I mean? Like it's just if he's your worst player, which he might be, if he's your worst bench player, um, that's a good spot to be in because he's someone who's a major league player. We've seen that he's been a productive major leaguer and. There's some safety in the fact that he can play everywhere. Again, the bat. There's not that much safety in the bat. It might be real, but even if it's not, you could do worse for that final spot. And we saw the Braves do worse for that final spot last year. Oh yeah, with, oh, with Ryan Flaherty. So yeah, um, he's better than that, if nothing else. So that, yeah. that that's a nice place. And that's sort of a nice landing spot for Culberson. And that he's going to play less, barring like two injuries. I think he's going to play less than he did last year. But that's not a knock on him. It's just that they've upgraded elsewhere. I think so. And and I don't want to say last year's team was. Uh, smoke and mirrors by any means. I mean, it is not easy to win 90 games. If it was easy to win 90 games, everyone would do it. But you really start to look at at the Braves roster at the end of the season and how some guys had slowed down. And and it was very obvious, and, and Alex Anthopoulos talked about it during either the McCann or Donaldson press conference, they need to, as a front office, they need to improve the lineup. And it really sounds to me like that was almost the area of focus uh, for the front office more so than the bullpen, more so than the rotation. That's not to say they're not going to improve the rotation or bullpen, but uh, you could clearly see when Anthopoulos was talking that he and all of his front office mates needed to upgrade the lineup. And and I think whenever you go, as you said, from having Charlie Culberson as your starting shortstop because of an injury to having him be the fourth or fifth guy off the bench, it, it can only help your ball club that much more and, and ultimately goes back to what we were talking about of having that versatility, having that flexibility. So when things inevitably happen, you, you feel pretty comfortable about your team moving forward. Agreed. Uh, and we, we could leave that there. You know, he'll be around and he'll be cheap and that's nice for the Braves. Um, one other bit of like semi news, if you can even call it that is Nick Cofardo, the Boston globe, who's often reported on some brave stuff. He's a good national voice, even though he's a regional guy at, in terms of um, where he works. Cofardo reports that Dallas Keuchel is quote high on the Braves wish list end quote. And the team is quote, looking for a veteran leader end quote. Um, not sure what that means. Other than the fact that Keuchel is pretty good and the Braves have a starting pitching need. Uh, I think we've talked about a lot of like trade stuff with starting pitchers, but they could just sign someone. And if they do, Keuchel and Keuchel, Patrick Corbin are like the big names um, that have been out there. Keuchel is a little bit less sexy than the top guys, but 
Keuchel is also pretty solid and might be not, he won't be cheap by any means, but he 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 may not break the bank either. So what'd you make of that like little buzz? It wasn't like a full blown like rumor or anything, but the fact that Braves have has some interest there is at least noteworthy. I never really know how much to put into Cafardo's rumors. I mean, Agreed. they're they're fun. He he, I would bet if you go over an off season, he probably links every free agent to about fifteen teams. Um, and maybe he does have legitimate sources telling him, yeah, the Braves are interested in Keuchel. Yeah, the Braves are interested in so and so. It doesn't take a whole lot to me, at least, to put two and two together. The Braves have money. Uh, Keuchel's a good starter. Uh, he would fit. The Braves have some Astros people in their front office now who are familiar with his work. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I probably wouldn't be as keen on bringing him in just because of of the projected salary. I know MLB trade rumors had him at four years and eighty one million, uh, which is obviously twenty million bucks a year for four years for a guy who's thirty and has quite a bit of of mileage on his arm already. Um, just in general, I, I think it's probably best practice to steer away from uh from the top tier free agents in on the pitching market or at least on the pitching side um and again i know i I forget who it was maybe jay comfrey on twitter pointed out that next year uh ja hap is projected to basically be the same pitcher as as dallas keichel and he'll probably get a third of the contract that keichel will maybe not even so there's other options out there if if all of a sudden you're looking at it and obviously we're not we're not sitting in the negotiation rooms with Keichel and his agent who knows what contract he's eventually going to get but ultimately I don't think there's going to be a fit there I'm going to guess he gets one too many years and a few too many dollars for the Braves really to want to get in there I agree I think if it's a like a full-blown bidding war then you probably don't want to be in it for Dallas Keichel but He's still fairly young. Like he'll be 31 in January, but that's a pretty reasonable age for someone who you're probably going to be giving like a what a three or four year deal to. Like it's not like it's a crazy risk. He's been pretty safe. He's you know he had a little bit of injury stuff in 2017, but he's been pretty consistent. He had the one outlier you know six win season in 2015. Did he win a Cy Young? I think he did. Um, if he did, yeah, he, he came did. Close. He did. Um, so yeah, it's uh he was very good that year. Other than that. You know, the other four or five years out of the last six, he's been about a three, three and a half win pitcher, um, give or take a win or so. And that's a good pitcher. Um, his upside's not super high, but his lows are not very low. So that could be a helpful piece. I, I could I hear Braves fans now pushing back on the thing. Like, I think there's this narrative that the Braves are going to get this number, like, no doubt number one. And Keiko isn't that. Like, I don't think he's a no doubt number one. Like, he's capable. We've seen him be an ace before, but I would not project him as an ace moving forward. He'd be a, a strong 2 3 type. And the Braves could certainly use that. He would definitely help the rotation, but I don't want to pay top, top dollar for that kind of player right now. It'd be different if he was 27, but he's 31. It's not super old, but there's just more risk as you get as you get older. So I, I think we're on the same page here. Like he would help the Braves, no question about it. And he might be a consolation prize if their top stuff strikes out or if they get some some sort of deal on him. Like if the market dries up for some reason, then sure. If he wants to take a, a nice soft landing spot in Atlanta for a reasonable deal. Sure, you know, sign me up. But I can't imagine that's going to be super likely. Um, given his age, it's probably time to capitalize if you're, if you're Dallas Keuchel. And uh, the Braves shouldn't be the team that like wins a bidding war for him. No, no, I don't think so. And I don't ultimately think they will. I think okay, I, I'm going to say in that case, it's more of Cafardo just kind of connecting the dots than than and it anything. Makes sense. That's, yeah, it's not hard to connect. And I get it. I mean, he's a reporter. He has to. That's kind of his thing. Is is kind of the beat around all of baseball. He's obviously a Red Sox writer, but he he does have some credibility to him and. And all that, so it's it's interesting to discuss nonetheless, and um, especially with the winter meetings about a week out. Uh, last week was pretty crazy. I think this next week is going to be 
just as busy, if not busier. And then, of course, the winter meetings are always uh, pretty crazy because we get that last push before everybody kind of takes two weeks off for the the Christmas holiday. So um, it should be fun. Yes, yes, it should be. And yeah, I guess technically the winter meetings start a week from today. They, yep. they don't really ramp up until the Monday, but they uh, they technically open on the Sunday, the ninth. So we're almost there. Um, one more theoretical thing: not a ton of Braves linkage to him in terms of like formalized rumors, but Mitch Haniger has been a popular topic on Twitter this week. I know you were talking about him a lot. You tweeted some stuff about how um, the, he would look pretty good in the Braves uniform, and we all kind of agree on that. There was some pushback to that, but people just don't know how good he's been. Number one, and number two. There's this interesting dynamic with Buster Olney of ESPN reporting that the Mariners now might want to attach Kyle Seeger, who makes a, a, a pretty good chunk of money the next several years. He's kind of a bad contract at this point. I may, may want to attach him to Mitch Hanniger or Gene Segura, somewhere like that, in order to shed the books a little bit. The Braves might get interested there a little bit. You know, Seeger is a third baseman, which is not ideal at the moment, considering the yeah. presence of Josh Donaldson. But you can get creative there, play in the corner outfield spot, et cetera, et cetera. So the big thing I want to ask you about is Hanniger as a theoretical fit. There was oh, yeah. this precious idea of Hanniger and, and uh, Edwin Diaz, which is now out the window because Diaz is going to be moving on to the Mets. But Hanniger is a pretty awesome baseball player, so sign me up if they can get him for any reasonable price. Absolutely. And I know a lot of our listeners are East Coast folks who, you know, the Mariners game started probably 10-10 on the East Coast. So, uh, you know, for those who don't know Mitch Hanniger, he's been he's a late bloomer. He, he came up at, I think, the age of 26, I want to say. Um, he was with the Brewers for a while. He was with the Diamondbacks and um, and just couldn't break through. One of those guys who, who kind of got labeled as a, a 4A baseball player, if you will, somebody who's really good in the minors, but doesn't quite have the tools to stick in the majors. And ever since... Uh, he came up. I mean, he has, he, he just crushes. I mean, last year, 157 games, 26 homers, 93 RBI, uh, eight steals, hit 285, 366, 493, gets on base at a good rate, doesn't strike out a ton. Um, I was looking it up, and I think since the start of last year, the only outfielders who have hit better than Hanniger are Trout, Betts, JD Martinez, and Christian Yelich. I mean, that, and that's it. I mean, that, that's pretty good company. Um, so because of his age, he's 27, about to turn 28. He has four more years of control, which is rare. But again, he came up later on uh, as a player. So he's going to make you know 500K next season and then have three years of arbitration the next three years after that. He's not going to come cheap, that's for sure. Uh, but he's kind of like in Christian Yelich's situation last year, a player that if you have to overpay a little bit in prospect capital – at least in my opinion, you do it because of how good he is. And you talk about putting him into the lineup and, and what he could do. And you talk about giving the Braves maybe the best lineup in the National League. Uh, if you add Hanniger in there, especially with some of the versatility you're going to have now with Camargo and others. So um, as you said, nobody has directly been like, yeah, the Braves are talking a Hanniger deal. But he's somebody who I'm a big, big fan of and and obviously fits. And, and not just with the Braves, but probably 20 teams in baseball would love to have him right now. So. Um, it would cost a lot for sure, but, um, he is somebody who, again, I would, I would be happy to pay a lot for. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty simple. Honestly, I think he's, you know, he's just not a huge name. So people want, might want to push back, but like your theoretical possible, like potential trade offer of, it would take three big time prospects, I think, to get Hanniger, um, yeah. on his own. Uh, it, obviously the price comes down if you take back Seager or some other bad money that the Mariners might have. But just like a three-for-one, I think it would take some pretty impressive prospect capital. And by the way, I'd pay that. I agree with you. Uh, people might have missed that tweet. But essentially, just pick three of the top, you know, eight, ten Braves prospects, and that's what it's going to take. Um, that's kind of where I am with that. I mean, it's not 
you can't. It's, there's this popular notion among Braves fans, some Braves fans that want to like package together like four guys who are in like the 14 to 25 range, and that doesn't. It's not gonna get you a top flight guy. Like you can't headline prospect package with Colby Allard. It just doesn't work out that way. No, no, so absolutely. Not. You're gonna have to part ways with Pache or Wright or Anderson or Tukey or those guys are gonna have to be in a deal to get the best guys available. Which Haniger is one of those guys. Like you, you could certainly put a, put a package together of lesser prospects and get a starting caliber outfielder, but Mitch Haniger, as you lay as you laid out there, is like an all star caliber outfielder, and that is um, a different sort of tier that you're working from. So Hanniger makes sense. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of be monitoring to see if we get some actual rumors there. I think the Braves do make a ton of sense for him just as a theoretical partner for the Mariners too. Like if they're going to trade him, yeah, I can't think of a situation that would be more advantageous for Seattle than, than Atlanta. But, you know, it's not always that easy, which we always point out, like that maybe they don't love the Braves prospects. But if they do like the Braves prospects, it does, like, it does seem like a fit on both sides. So that's why it keeps coming up from people that are smart because it just it makes too much sense. It does. And if we'll see. And if and if I think the other thing, too, people were discussing Seager's contract a little bit. And there he certainly owed some money over the next uh, four years with his deal. Uh, though, as we've seen, if, if there's any two GMs in baseball who can make a deal work with some weird money, it's these two. I mean, you think about Anthopolis last year working out the Matt Kemp deal in the in the five player swap. Uh, he was able to trade away Vernon Wells' terrible contract when he was a young GM with the Blue Jays. He's he's not a GM who is afraid of big contracts or is unable to get creative with moving money around, uh, as we saw even this past week, giving $23 million to, to Josh Donaldson. So um, it, it's going to be intriguing. I, I almost feel like we're just kind of waiting for that rumor from somebody, I don't want to say more legit than Cafardo, because I want to act like he's just a clown who knows nothing, but um, – I feel like it's almost inevitable until we really start to see it. And if you're Seattle, uh, as you mentioned, Brad, it's it's kind of a no-brainer to give the Braves a call or at least really look them over because of all the different uh, kinds of prospects they have and the different ages of prospects with some value that they'd be interested in. They have the guys who are major league ready, like a Tukey, like a Soroka, uh, even a Kyle Wright. They have some guys who are a little bit younger, maybe you know two or three years away, maybe a year or two away in, in other cases. So. Uh, I would think those two teams match up well, and, and they have two GMs who are, who are creative enough to make a deal happen if there is mutual interest. Yep, I uh, I totally agree. Uh, okay, last thing, and then uh, one more mailbag question that I wanted to take um, comes from Deke Barron, and he asks, what do you anticipate the market for Julio Tehran might be? Um, I will say we've discussed this and not really gone too deep, too deep into it because I think we both expect or at least think it's a possibility, a pretty good possibility that Julio won't be around, but he's owed some real money. And I think the Braves might need that money. Um, so just to lay it out a little bit, $11 million that he is owed for 2019 and the, uh, the Braves or whichever team he has, uh, whichever team employs him in 2020, will have a club option for 12 million with a $1 million buyout. So, in starting pitcher terms, that's not a huge contract by any means, even for someone who is, hasn't been great lately. That's a deal that guys might get on the free agent market as sort of like a polo contract, like a one-year prove-it deal, which is basically what this is. So with that in mind, I think the Braves can move him, but, I mean, what's the market for him? I don't know. I mean, you're not, you're not going to get anything back. That's kind of where I am. Like, I, I, I just don't see the Braves getting anything back but, like, maybe like a C-level prospect. Am I wrong on that? Do you see a scenario where the Braves trade just Julio and get something of any value in return? Because I just don't see that. I don't either. I think, you know, if I had to bet on it, I almost think Julio would be an intriguing piece 
if the Braves are going to trade for in a deal where, where a player is owed some money, might not have a great contract, he kind of makes sense to help balance out the money a little bit if you trade him back somewhere. Yeah, NBA-style trade where you got to match right. his salary a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, or even I mean, even what the Mets did this past week where they sent uh, Bruce and, and Swarzak to the Mariners to eat, you know, what was it, $18 million or whatever those two are owed this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, as far as value, you're not, you're not openly mo- looking – to get a prospect for Julio Tron. I just don't think that's um, really how uh, Anthopolis would go about trying to trade him. I think he's more of a, a package piece, if you will. Um, look, I mean, to his credit, he's durable. He's he's not necessarily the best pitcher in the world at this point. I think even a rose-colored outlook on him would be more of that of a decent fourth starter or a serviceable fifth starter, which he, he was last season. Um, not great by any means though, as you said, it's not like you just can't pitch him. It's not like he, you know, can't get you a couple innings. He threw, he threw what? 170 innings last year, 180 innings, uh, which wasn't, which isn't bad. Those, those kind of pitchers don't grow on trees. So ultimately I do think Julio gets moved. I just don't see a fit for him on next year's team, especially with the front office really saying that the Braves are absolutely going to try to win in 2019 and are going for it. If you're really doing that, I just don't see a scenario where he's one of your five best uh, starting pitching options. So ultimately, I think he gets moved. Maybe they do flip him and and you know throw in a couple million dollars cash and get a sea level relief prospect for him. But um, yeah, it's, he's a hard guy to gauge, uh, as you said. It's it's not a terrible contract, but it's not as if it's a scenario where you're going to have multiple teams lining up for him. Right, and that's that's when when, I, when, I, when I, you know we're asked about the market. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Like there is no real market. I do think though that a lot of teams could use him, including the Braves. It's more of a situation where how much financial tolerance do the Braves have? Because if you just went in a vacuum, if the Braves don't acquire a number a number one, two, three-ish starting pitcher, they'd probably be better off as an organization having Julio around um, as depth because he's he's durable. And, you know, for me, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good percentage chance that he is better in 2019 only than some of these prospect guys that the Braves might be using in the rotation. Like it's not it's not impossible that young guys could be better than him, but in terms of safety, you know, is he gonna, like if you had to, if you had to pitch him or Colby Allard, like he's he's better than Colby Allard. Um, even Tukey, like I know Tukey looked good, but I'm not 100 percent sure I would project Tukey to be like fully better than Julio Tehran in 2019 only. Obviously, for the future, it's not close. But you know what I mean? Like, I think Julio is someone we've all been frustrated with. At the same time, I think he would be a very credible four or five starter for basically anyone. So there's value in that. It's just kind of how much do the Braves want to keep him around for depth versus shedding him just to shed his salary and use it and use it elsewhere. In a salary cap league, or if the Braves had to really worry about the salary cap, he'd be a pretty easy guy to move off of. But if they don't, you know, have to quote unquote use that money, keeping him wouldn't be the worst thing. Like I think he won't be around if I if you had if you're asking me what, what I'm thinking will happen, I think he'll be traded, but it wouldn't just blow me away to all the world if he was back on the team in 20, to start 2019. Yeah, I get that, I, and I I get what you're saying too about the better than some of the young guys. We just don't know. I think if, if no, I had, we, we don't. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what you're dealing with when you're talking about pitching prospects who are 21, 22, 23 years old. Um, I think almost from a fan perspective, you do hope he gets traded just because you would like to see what a Max Freed could do with Clear those stuff. Yeah, I agree. Hold, uh, hold or, or, or Mike Soroka or whoever it is because there is there is going to be a bit of a log jam even if they do trade a couple of those guys away. 
Um, not that you can ever have too many pitching prospects, but there will be a little bit. So um, I think we're in agreement. Ultimately, he won't be with the Braves this time in three or four months. But um, as you said, you, you can do worse as a guy if, if he is going to be the fifth starter, at least for a little while, and see if he's able to reclaim a little bit of what he was prior to last year. Um, it's not like you're automatically forfeiting games that he starts. No, not at all. And again, like I think there are there are only a very few precious situations around the league where he wouldn't be one of the best five or six stars on a on a on a roster. Like there are very few teams that have more than five guys better than Julio Tehran. Like yeah. are there two? Are there three? Maybe I mean Houston and. Uh, I don't know who else. Like there, maybe the Dodgers. Yeah, maybe yeah, the Dodgers. I mean, there. I mean, aside from like the uber elite, Julio Tehran would be the fifth starter in most rotations. Mm-hmm. And the Braves want to be that, but they're not that now. You know what I mean? Like two years from now, maybe the Braves are just like in that class with the Dodgers or the Astros or the Cubs or whoever. But yeah. right now, he might just be your fifth starter. Like it's not the worst thing in the world, and I do think. It's a good point that you bring up that fans aren't going to be excited and aren't going to want to see him pitch at the expense of someone younger who has higher upside. But if it's like for instance, Max Freed's a perfect comp, I think I'd, I'd much rather see Max Freed be a starter from opening day forward than Julio Tehran. I am a yeah. lot more intrigued by that. But there's a 50 50 chance, maybe even higher, that Julio is better in 2019 than Max Freed would be. The Max Freed would be. So it's like. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think the safety the safety just can't be ignored. I think fans like to see upside, and with good reason, but safety is a valuable thing. Yeah, I'm with you. Never have too many pitchers. Yeah, I mean, go back to your operating uh, your operating thing right now is you can't have too many good players. It's sort of the same thing for pitchers. Julio's not good anymore, but he also is useful, so... Yeah, and but man, if he just stopped walking people last year, oh, I don't want to go too. I'm I'm staring at his Fangraphs page as we talk. Suddenly, he just started walking people, and he never walked people ever. Like that's the thing. If you if you're worried about Julio Tehran, that's what you have to worry about. Is if he's suddenly walking four plus guys per nine, he's no longer a pitcher that you want anymore. Yeah. So that, he had that's one the of the most bizarre seasons. Like if you just look across the up board, and down and high and low, yeah, just... and, and the velocity dip and the like lowest hard hit percentage against in baseball other than like Max Scherzer. Well, he um, famously had like the lowest, did he finish with the season with the lowest batting average allowed in, it, in, in baseball? Yeah, that's what it league? was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not hard hit, but yeah, batting average against it was, if not the lowest, like second lowest, which is just he had nuts, a 217 so. BABIP allowed, which is like hilariously yeah. low. Yeah. And a lot of that's because he was giving up home runs. Like all the, all the gains that you think he would make, from having that kind of batting average against, we're all given back because he walked four point three guys per nine and allowed one point three home runs per nine. Like, mm-hmm. so it's like the it's the weirdest thing in the world. Like, he still ended up with a sub four ERA, which I think that's a good parlor trick right now. Ask people if they, if Julio Teruel had a sub four ERA last year, people would definitely say no. But he did. yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. weird year we're, for him. Weird season, and uh, we'll see how where he is in twenty nineteen. I, I mean, real quickly, I know I said it. Do you think he's traded? I think he's traded, but. I do. Ultimately, yeah. I think he's if if the Braves are going to take on, I think Anthopolis is going to be open to the idea of taking on a a not great contract in order to lessen the prospect blow. Because I do think he legitimately, I want to say he kind of learned his lesson. Frankly, in Toronto, he kind of depleted the farm system, and and the Blue Jays paid for it. Even if it was in the years after he left, it's not hard to look and see what happened. Um, I think ultimately he'll use Julio as a way to help balance out some money if he does take on a contract that's not great. I think as of today, that's, that's where I'd lean with it. 
Um, but who knows? I mean, again, maybe a team, I don't know, a, a team like the Los Angeles Angels who could probably use some durability in their rotation. They're a team that always has injuries. You know, the Angels want to take on Julio and for $8 million bucks. The Braves throw $3 million, and, and the Angels give a, a fringe prospect to him. Maybe something like that happens. But I do think, ultimately, he'll help balance some money in a deal. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, from all of the hand-wringing that I'm sure will occur if the Braves just make a cost-saving move like that uh, in favor of Liberty Media's pockets, if they spend that money, then I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like, if they're going to turn, yeah. that, turn that around and, and use it somewhere else, then it's definitely okay. Yeah, for sure. All right, Scott. Well, in true Talking Chop podcast fashion, we had nothing to talk about, and here we are 51 minutes later, <laughs> full-length podcast on like three topics, none of which were urgent. So perfect yeah. um, for a Sunday in early December. But uh, please plug anything you got going on. I know it's sort of slow right now for most people because yeah. we're just kind of waiting on the next shoe to drop, but please tell people where they can find your work. As always, I know you're frequently on the pod, but I, I, I am reminded every once in a while that we, we, do, we do acquire new listeners, people, people that kind of want to get to know us a little bit more. So here we are. Yeah, check out the site. I mean, it's it, last week was a lot of fun with with everything going on, and hopefully, uh, you mentioned the emergency podcast that we did on Monday night. Hopefully, we do another one here in the near future, which which honestly wouldn't surprise me. With with it seems like it just seems like across baseball. I don't know if you feel the same way. It feels like we're just going to have a couple weeks of craziness here, and this was the first week. I think it's going to start like Sunday or Monday, like right yeah. when the winter meetings start. It might just be all hell breaking loose. Um, yeah. And the Braves might, may not be involved because honestly, the Braves made the headlines all by themselves on Monday. It was basically like Braves Day Monday slash yeah. Tuesday, where that was they were the only team doing something, and that that happens every once in a while. But they, you you get, you get to winter meetings and like there'll be five, six, seven teams making moves at the same time, yeah. and it may not be the Braves, but it may be the Braves because I think the entire baseball world has their eye on the Braves. For a number of reasons: a) they have money; b) they have prospects; c) they have a pretty aggressive general manager, and you know, there's yeah. all the reason to suspect they're going to do something. I'm just not sure what it's going to be. Well, and the big spenders, other than the Yankees, really haven't done anything. I mean, if you think about it, Dodgers, yeah, you know, they re-signed Kershaw and Ryu, but that's about it. The Red Sox haven't really done anything uh, except for re-sign Steve Pierce to a one-year deal, which I'm not sure even with his October heroics really moves the needle. Um, the Cubs haven't really done much. The Cardinals haven't done anything. Um, the Astros haven't really done anything. Uh, the Angels, who seem to spend a ton of money every winter, haven't done anything. So it's it, the Phillies and Nationals, who both have money to spend, haven't done much. So I, I really do think it's going to be a fun off season, which, frankly, fans deserve after after how terrible last last year's was. So, um, but yeah, as always, check out the you know, talkingchop.com and Twitter and all of our social media pages. A lot of fun and. Uh, hopefully we have plenty to write about over the next couple days. Follow Scott at Scott Coleman 55. Um, the greatest Twitter account in the land. <laughs> Except for on Sundays when we talk, when we talk I don't about know about that. Yeah. I don't know about that. Sunday afternoon should be like an unfollow for you and I, I think during football season at this point. Cause it's just, Oh man. Yeah. I, I, I've decided today to bring it all full circle from the beginning of this podcast. I decided today that 1 PM will be a, uh, appointment time. I'll do some errands at 1 PM Eastern on Sundays for the, for the rest of the season. I'll, uh, Christmas shopping, you know, homework stuff that I need to do for the podcast. That kind of stuff will be happening during football games, and the Falcons are dead to me until 2019. Yeah. So. What happened? Well, that, that, that's a whole other can Let's of not do that. But hey, go Colts. The Colts are going to be like in the mix, at least. The Falcons are all 100% dead. It was a bad loss for the Colts today, but go Colts. Yeah. I'm on your side, Scott. Go fun. Colts. I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. As for uh, as for Scott, um, please follow me if you want to. I don't know why you would, but at BT Roll and follow the podcast. Um, please subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, 
uh, SoundCloud, all those fun places. And uh, please follow Talking Chop both at TalkingChop.com and also at Talking Chop on Twitter. We will see you guys in another week unless something crazy happens and we have to do an emergency podcast at like 2 in the morning on a Wednesday, which has happened before. But Might happen. Stay tuned. Yeah. And if that happens, it'll probably be uh, probably probably will be Scott and I because Scott's on the West Coast and he's up later than everybody else is. So Yeah. There you go. All right, everybody. Um, I enjoyed this one. Hopefully you guys did too. We'll see you guys next week.